in your face. I'm joined by Brian Gregg from Just Equal, who joins us from Bustleton in WA. Brian, welcome back to the show. Hi, James. Nice to be back. Let's start with The Voice. How is the Yes campaign tracking, do you think? Well, I guess I have a particularly West Australian perspective on that, and I'd say, I'd have to say poorly. Uh, I'd have to say the No campaign was very quick out of the box with their negative campaign and their, their, their fears and their doubts, their campaign of FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt, and it's been very effective, I think. I think certainly in WA, the voice is in real trouble. Uh, and I would imagine that's probably the case across most of the country, and my feeling at this point in time is that it's not going to get up. Wow. So Peter Dutton seems to have learnt some tricks from the marriage equality campaign and the no campaign and the negativity and has finessed it. Do you think that's going on? I think that's a part of it, James. But we also need to remember that no referendum in Australia has ever been successful where the two major parties were divided on the question. And on this issue, they are. You have Labor backing the yes campaign, the coalition backing the no that makes it party political and it broadly divides the country along party lines. Um, it's, it's a very difficult ask at this stage for the Yes campaign to, to get up and off the ground successfully. But it, it's worth noting, worth pointing out, that the religious conservatives are very much a part of this campaign um, and they're in the background working hard with the no campaigners. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure what the nexus is. I, I haven't quite got my head around why the religious conservatives are backing the no case. I think the, the reasons there are perhaps a little complex, but I think broadly what it represents is they're, they're finding their feet in terms of their, their tactics and their skills and where they might take that next. And I think this is really a trial run for them for some bigger things they want to embark on over the next few years, not the least of which will be religious freedom. So the No campaign isn't really about the voice, it's about undermining the government and the pursuit of power for the opposition. That's my view. I'm, I'm convinced that uh, Dutton and his, his shadow cabinet are largely opposing the voice for purely political reasons, simply because the government is supporting it. It's just a point of division, a point of difference. It's classic, if you like, Tony Abbott tactics, where Abbott was a very successful opposition leader because he was doggedly opposed to everything and anything the government put forward. And that marked him out as very different. Um, it gave him a profile. It gave him platform, it gave him debate, it gave him argument, it gave him conflict, and that helped helped lift his profile. And I think Dutton is doing the same thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Tony Abbott. It seems like his fingers are in the pie. Do you think he's got a direct line to Dutton and they're talking fairly regularly? I would imagine so. I mean, they're, they're, they're cut from the same cloth, those two. Uh, they're both very dry conservatives. They both appeal to the hard right of the country. They both play footsie with religious conservatives um, and, uh, you know, I find it strange because Mr Abbott himself appears to have a fairly good track record on Indigenous issues in terms of how he approaches those from a Catholic position um, in in terms of wanting to ensure that Indigenous peoples have the best uh, quality of life. But overlaying that, he, he has his conservative ideological positions. Um, not the least of which means he's prepared to abandon some of those principles if it means helping get Dutton into power. Do you think the government can get out of this hole on The Voice? Do you think it's salvageable? I do, but they're going to have to pull their finger out. Um, 
you know, the, the no campaign was out hard, out fast, out early. Um, and of course, because there's... I make the argument that if we compare this referendum with the, the plebiscite or the postal survey on marriage equality, there is, there's a distinct difference. And the one is with marriage equality, of course, there had been discussion and debate and talk back and, and you know, there'd been a huge national dialogue around the issue for at least a decade by the time we got to the point of actually voting through the postal survey. So the yes campaign for marriage didn't have to work very hard to convince anybody on the question. Everybody was already decided. It was just about making sure the campaign got them over the line and that they voted. With this question, there hasn't been that discussion, that debate, that dialogue. I think there's a huge amount of confusion and misunderstanding and bewilderment across most of the country as to what the voice actually is, where it came from and what it proposes to do. So it's a double ask for the Yes campaign on the Indigenous issue. They've got to educate people not only about the issue but then get them to vote. A lot easier for the No campaign just to throw a spanner into all that and run their fear and doubt campaign. Do you think the voice campaign is kind of like fodder for, you know, uh, international actors, if you like, you know, who want to disrupt our our electoral system and cause havoc? I, I see it in a broader or through a wider prism, James, and that is that I think globally we can see in comparable countries and others there's a real backlash against what's broadly called wokeism or, or anything that's that's small or liberal or progressive. There's a, an anti-progressive backlash. We're seeing that in the UK, we're seeing that in Hungary, we're seeing that in the US. Uh, and, and I think in part the, the opposition to the voice from large sections of the Australian community is that they kind of see it as a woke thing. They see it as a, a, a symbolic progressive thing which isn't really necessary, isn't really helpful and not something they can support because they have this very, if you like, black and white attitude towards having seeing any particular uh, minority community having what they perceive as a special advantage. And they just feel that everybody should be treated absolutely equally and they draw a line in the sand at having constitutional change which in their minds give in, gives Indigenous people uh, a special privilege. So it's an anti-woke thing as well, I think. How much will it hurt the Albanese government if the voice fails? Uh, it will a bit. I think it will. It, it will. It will unsettle Albanese because he he put himself behind this. This he he made it clear he was passionate about this and something he wanted to drive as prime minister. And good on him for doing that. Um, but I think it's really going to fall in a heap if it hasn't already. So for me, the, the question now is where do we go from here? It, it worries me deeply that if this referendum fails, and I fear it will, what, what does that mean? What message does that send to Indigenous Australians? What does that mean for reconciliation? And what can the Parliament do next? It's, you know, it's, it's troubling and, and, and uncomfortable. Um, to put it in perspective, I mean, how might we have reacted if the Marriage Equality Postal Survey went the other way? What if most Australians said no? What message would have that have sent to LGBTIQA plus people in their relationships and what might the parliament have done in response? Um, always, I guess one of the lessons here is, is there's always a great danger in putting these human rights and social issues to uh, a public question. Uh, but of course, on the case of constitutional change, you have no choice about that. It has to go to the people.
So it's really bad for the nation's health, for its psyche, if this issue fails. I think so. Um, and it worries me that um, it's, it's going to get ugly. Uh, if the government presses ahead with holding the referendum by the end of the year, and they seem determined to do that, uh, I think we're going to see some, really, some real ugly stuff um, appear. Some, some classic, you know, straight-out racism, let's be honest, racism. Um, it'll be racism camouflaged as other things, camouflaged as concern for the Constitution and camouflaged as concern for equality, but it'll be racism. Um, in exactly the same way that during the postal survey, uh, during the Turnbull period, we saw some, you know, some unleashed homophobia and transphobia. Do you think that ugliness could actually cause a backlash and boost the yes vote because people don't want to be voting for racism? It, look, it may do, James, but my feeling is most Australians have already decided. I think it's, I think it's all over by the shouting. Um, perhaps I have a, a rather pessimistic view on that from a West Australian perspective, um, and polling over here is showing that it only has 40% support, but I can't see it getting up off the ground from there. Um, and I understand there's similar polling in Queensland. Um, but, you know, sometimes these polls can surprise you. They can be inaccurate. They can be misleading. Um, but what we really need to do to see, to, you know, to make this successful is we really need to see some high-profile, iconic uh, Indigenous people and their allies out there making the case, you know, with some great marketing, um, TV and radio marketing, uh, that kind of... Um, slick, glossy, colourful, joyous stuff that we saw during the marriage campaign, we haven't seen yet on this issue. Um, and I'm very anxious that that starts happening soon. Moving on to LGBTIQA plus issues, how would you currently rate the Albanese government's performance? Uh, very timid. Uh, weak and timid, I'd have to say. I mean, it was nice to see the Prime Minister walk across the Sydney Harbour Bridge during World Pride in support of fairness and equality, but that's symbolic. Uh, where's the practical outcomes of that? Where's the legislation? Uh, you know, we still don't have national anti-vilification laws. We still don't have any uh, funding support for states which ban conversion practices or plan to. Uh, there's no lifting of the blood ban with the, uh, over the Red Cross, which the government has uh, management over. Um, the government has backtracked, has, has dumped its policy of appointing an LGBTIQ plus commissioner to the Australian Human Rights Commission. Uh, it's dumped its shadow spokesperson or its cabinet spokesperson for that, which they had up until 2019. And they appear to be walking away from their promise to include us in the next census in 2026. Um, I note that there's a motion going up at, their, at Labor Party's federal conference next month uh, to endorse LGBTI people being included in the census, and that's a positive thing. Hopefully that motion will, will be embraced. But I remind people that the Labor Party went to the last election promising to do this. And so for me, that's a little unnerving. Why would you need to put a motion up at a conference to say, let's do this, when it was already a promise at the last election? That suggests to me that there's some, some concern and some wavering on the issue. Uh, and, you know, good, best wishes to those um, Rainbow Labor people and their allies trying to press this forward. But it, it's an illustration of just how timid the Albanese government is on the, the suite of reforms, the, the necessary suite of reforms. We've still heard nothing from Albanese on uh, schools, uh, kids in faith schools. That's been kicked into the long grass until well after the end of this year. 
there's still silence from Mr Albanese on his approach to teachers in faith schools, nothing there, uh, and the same with employees in faith-based services. So, as you know, there are lots of church groups that run with buckets of taxpayer funding. They run all sorts of services like aged care homes and charities and employment services and uh, emergency housing and that kind of thing. Um, and they can and do discriminate against employees. They can refuse to hire LGBTI people and they can dismiss them without, um, without recourse. That can't happen, for example, in Tasmania, where that discrimination was outlawed a quarter of a century ago, but it still happens in other states. We've heard nothing from Albanese on that, and particularly disappointing that you know they, they dump their policy of having, um, which they may bring back, we press them to bring it back, um, of, of having an LGBTI uh, commissioner on the Human Rights Commission. You know, The Human Rights Commission has a commissioner for race and age and sex and disability, and a number of other uh, attributes, um, but nothing for our community. Um, and it was Labor Party policy up until 2019 to do exactly that. Penny Wong put out a, a special, gave a special press conference and put out a press release saying what a wonderful initiative this was and saying why it was important. But they seem to have walked away from that. It must I be frustrating that... for her being in Cabinet and seeing this um, lack of progress. Yeah, I mean, but look, there are signs that the... the the complaints and the lobbying from our community is having some small impact. Just Equal has been pushing hard on this particular issue and as a consequence, the government recently gave some funding to the Human Rights Commission to appoint an LGBTIQA plus researcher um, who, if they haven't already been hired, will be shortly and they'll be working in the Human Rights Commission alongside the Sex Discrimination Commissioner. That's a small positive step, but it's not our own commissioner. It's a concession. Um, and for, for as long as we don't have our own commissioner, it sends the broader message that discrimination against our community is less important than it is against other sections of the community. And, of course, there's no support for that. There's no evidence for that because there's actually a rising tide, particularly of, of fear and loathing and discrimination, particularly against trans and gender-diverse people. So considering all of that, why aren't they moving on LGBTIQA plus specific commissioner? I mean, considering all the inaction, it would be a very welcome gesture and clearly much needed. I think in part because Federal Labor have painted themselves into a corner because they have promised the Australian Christian lobby and religious conservatives generally that they will, this term, uh, if not next, but probably this term, introduce a religious discrimination bill. And that would include, they've confirmed that that would include the appointment of a religious discrimination commissioner to the Human Rights Commission. I find that extraordinary because the Ruddick inquiry um, several years ago, looking into whether or not Australia needed um, a, a religious freedom bill, came back with the um, analysis that, no, we don't need one and we don't need a commissioner. So that, it flies in the face to then say, oh, well, Labor will appoint one. We'll appoint a religious discrimination commissioner to the Australian Human Rights Commission. But, of course, that shows the glaring absence of the LGBTIQA plus commissioner. And so I think there's a discomfort with, within Labor's strategists about the politics of all of that. You know, they, I think their thinking might be, how can we appoint an LGBTIQA plus commissioner when we haven't yet appointed the Religious Discrimination Commissioner and imagine the fuss and furor that will happen 
from conservative constituencies if and when we do that. So, but you know, that is a problem of their own making, and frankly, they should do both at the same time. I would argue that. Uh, you know, if if the government is going to press ahead and, and appoint a religious discrimination commissioner, then for the sake of balance, particularly in this during this period of ongoing discussion about religious freedom and religious rights, there must be balance, and the balance has got to come between the, the commissioners, principally between the commissioners for religious freedom and the commissioners for LGBTIQA plus human rights, being able to sort out you know, secular approaches and religious approaches to civic administration. Yeah, it'll be a bit of a kick in the teeth for our community if they appoint a religious discrimination commissioner, especially if we get legislation in relation to religious freedom that we're not particularly happy with that impedes our rights um, and we don't get a, a commissioner for our community. Yeah, and this is where it gets a bit worrying because Labor said, you remember that when Morrison pressed ahead former Prime Minister Morrison pressed ahead with his religious freedom bill, religious discrimination bill. Uh, people, MPs played strategic games with that in the lower house, and that included moving all sorts of amendments against the government's wishes, some of which were successful. And at that time, Labor said they would never support uh, any amendments or any bill, uh, any religious bill that undermined existing protections, existing anti-discrimination laws for LGBTI people. And that was comforting. They said that they said they would do that. But then they betrayed us. That is precisely what they did. They ultimately voted for a bill that contained anti-LGBTI um, uh, provisions, undermining states and territories in relation to a, a range of things, including schools and teachers and, and, and faith services. Um, and then that bill went up to the Senate, and I guess Labor's thinking was, look, we don't have to worry about this because it's going to die in the Senate, which is what happened. It was eventually pulled and it didn't get debated in the Senate because Morrison could see he didn't have the numbers to get through the bill that he wanted. But it also means that Labor is on record, on voting record, is voting in favour of particular exemptions and concessions for religious conservatives in the lower house on these issues. And so the question for our community is, well, where do they really stand? Is that their policy or do they support non-discrimination and repeated uh, uh, correspondence between Just Equal and, and the, the attorney um, has not made, brought any clarification on this because the government re- continues to obfuscate. The Labor Party is taking anti-vilification to its conference in August. Is that just kicking the can down the road? I mean, they could legislate next week if they wanted to, couldn't they? Oh, that's true of a range of things. Um, but, but look, it's not a bad thing that they discuss anti-vilification laws and propose them federally, but it's about the strength of them. Um, you know, the, the, there are anti-vilification laws in ex- already in existence in a number of states, but they are largely ineffective with the exception of Tasmania. Uh, Tasmania has the lowest bar, if you like, depending on how you look at it, the lowest bar to lodge a complaint or the strongest laws in which you can make a complaint. Um, uh, because their laws are framed not just around um, incitement to hatred, but also uh, causing severe offence or severe ridicule. Uh, and, and that was the environment in which the, the case evolved in Tasmania some years ago around the Catholic Archbishop uh, Porteous and his distribution of a pamphlet against same-sex marriage. That complaint couldn't be made on any mainland state, but could in Tasmania because of their laws. So the question is, well, it's one thing to to, to approve the principle, 
of having anti-vilification laws federally, but what would the legislation look like? How strong would it be? Uh, and would it, or would it simply be incitement to hatred, which is a very, very high bar? Not a bad thing to have, but there are very few cases of um, incitement to hatred around the country when it comes to attacks on LGBTI people. There, there are still many other uh, harmful things which are said and done which would fall, fall well short of that kind of benchmark. Brian Gregg, always great to hear your voice on 3CR. Thanks so much for your time in the Salvo. Thanks for calling. Brian Gregg there from Just Equal. Music there of John Lennon, Power to the People. Up real soon, Michael Batira. But in the meantime, here's his track on my way.
say to me that you're everything I need All the air I breathe and the only thing I see I'll tell you now that it's not the way it goes I'll be fine out on my own till I find myself alone I'll take a step right out that front door and get into the car Take the closest highway an uplifting track Michael Batira there on my way and Michael joins us on the line Michael welcome back to the show hey James thanks for having me it's a really uplifting song you write great tracks of self-discovery <laughs> thank you thank you thanks so much I appreciate that so what have you been up to um oh, I've just been doing a lot of writing at the moment uh, actually just trying to get back to my roots a little bit I kind of had a a bit of a reset this year. I kind of really wanted to find my centre again and, and kind of go back to my roots and, and 
kind of almost try to start fresh in a, in a weird way, even though it's kind of hard to do when you've, you've kind of been doing something for so long. So I'm, I'm, I've tried to find my centre again and, and, and look around. And I also feel like I've grown so much too as, as an artist, as a person in general, and just experiences. So I'm trying to um, prepare something for the next chapter and, and trying to create something uh, a little bit more personal and in-depth, basically. Well, that reset has worked. I mean, On My Way has got over a million hits on Spotify. Uh -huh. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a great song. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, it's a lot to me. It means a lot. So tell us about what's going on in those lyrics. Like, is there anyone you're singing to apart from yourself? Like, you know, tell us a bit more about this journey you've been on. Um, yeah, not, not, not specifically. It's definitely, it's definitely more towards myself. I think it's more of a reminder for me. Um, I think day to day we can sometimes get lost and we can kind of, uh, be uncertain about what we're doing, where we're going and what's next. And sometimes that uncertainty can bring on some anxieties and whatnot. But I think it's my reminder to myself that, you know, I'm, 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 every day is an adventure. Every, every step we take is, is is got a purpose to it, and you just have to find that purpose and and keep moving forward, and and always remember that you're on your way to something. You don't always have to necessarily know the the result, but you're definitely you know on that journey already. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Now you said you're getting back to your roots. Of course, your early tracks were very very poppy. You've returned to pop, but in the middle, you had these great kind of almost power ballads happening. Yeah, yeah, I've done a bit of that. I have, yeah, done a bit of that. I'm, and look, I, I have a, I'm torn between the love of both, both of those. I do love an upbeat number. I love a big ballad. Um, I think you know some of my newer stuff that's coming will kind of be a bit of a, a flesh out of both, like a, a you know leaning a little bit either way, which which I'm fine with because I do have, I do have a love for both of those. Yeah, it's very much moving forward and looking forward on my way, whereas your last two releases, uh, The Green Garden and also Space Alien, were kind of love songs and retrospection, weren't they? Yeah, that's, that's right. They were. They, they very much were. And this is, this is definitely more about, um, this one's more about myself, I guess. <laughs> I can really hear that independence and that kind of, you know, looking forward. Um, where can we see you, do you think, in the next, you know, six months? I mean, what's what's planned? Um, well, I really want to finish writing an EP that I've been working on. I really want to finish um, working on these songs that I've been, I've kind of been sitting on them for a really long time. Um, and I'm just trying to create them the best that I can. I, I just, Usually, sometimes I'll go, come up with a song and I'll just get it done, move like quickly, throw it over to the next spot and the next chapter, and just get it moving. But now I'm, I'm kind of taking my time a lot more this time, and I'm, I'm really wanting to um, really want to do things right and make sure I feel a hundred percent with everything that before I actually, you know, bring everything out to the to the surface. Are they all pop? Like, are they all poppy tracks on the on the EP, or what can you tell us about it musically? Um, it will be, I think, like I mentioned before, I think it'll be quite quite mixed. I will have quite, um, you know, one or two upbeat numbers and I'll have a couple of uh, in-depth, more, uh, you know, very much more deeper kind of ballads as well. Uh, you know, a few a few things. Um, what I do is I'll write and, and record a whole bunch of stuff and then I'll choose maybe out of, you know, that selection which ones really kind of 
resembles me at that very moment. Um, I mean, they all will in some way, but it's about creating that perfect little, um, you know, artistry package that I, I really want to create. Uh, so we'll see, I guess. It's really exciting. What are you writing at the moment? What song are you working on currently? Tell us about it. Um, I'm writing, uh, it's, well, I guess it's, look, in a nutshell, it's a love song, I guess. Um, and it's, it's just kind of a love song towards someone who I have to make sure that I remind them that they're loved. And sometimes, um, you know, a love song can be pretty generic, but this particular one is, is, is making sure that they don't forget that because sometimes I think people can get lost in, in their feelings and not always remember that, how special and unique they are. So this next one is, is definitely a dedication to, to someone that I love a lot and I want to make sure that they... Uh, remember it, and um, yes, I'm, I'm putting that in a very kind of blatant, obvious, uh, lyrical way. <laughs> wow, I mean, what an honour for them, and what a beautiful message to send them, and I guess there's so many different kinds of love songs you can write. It's not necessarily a romantic interest, it can be friends, it can be family. Um, tell us a bit more about the backstory to this one. Yeah, so, um, yeah, look, it, it, you're absolutely right. It can be about so many different things. I think I feel like the misconception with love songs is that they're always just about um, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whoever, you know, whoever, you know, that, but it's not always necessarily romantic. Sometimes it's much deeper than that. And, um, yeah, the, no, this one is, is definitely um, a unique one for me uh, about my partner, um, and I'm, it's want to make sure that they realise that they're quite special. And um, so it's, it's kind of personal, um, but it, it doesn't come across too um, serious. It's quite fun and it's quite it's got a bit of a boppy beat to it. But at the same time, it, it's, you know, it's very, uh, I guess, very kind of straightforward with the message. Um, I, I, I don't be... I'm not trying to be too vague... Uh, or ambiguous, I'm being a little bit more straightforward, more than I usually am. I do enjoy a good vague uh, uh, lyric uh, and, and leave it up to interpretation, but uh, with what I'm doing at the moment, I'm being a little bit more um, right on right on the head. <laughs> and that's a shift, as you say, because you're intensely private. Um, so for you to, to write an overt song like that, it must be a pretty serious relationship. Um, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I'm I'm in a good place. So I'm certainly on my own little. I'm on my way, I guess you could say, on my own little adventure. Like this is a whole new experience, or it's been a new one for well for a long time uh, since I've been in in this particular position. But yeah, it's um, it's good. It's been good. So when will you be in the studio on the EP? That's a really good question. I'm hoping, I really hoping in the next couple of months I can finally jump back in there and get serious with it. But I'm, I'm, I'm really just, like I said, I'm not, I'm trying not to rush myself. As anxious as I am to get back in there because I miss it so much and I miss performing and I miss, I miss doing all of that. But I, I really just, I want to make sure that I feel really, really good about everything that I'm writing. Um, like I said, normally my process is slightly different, so I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more cautious, I guess you could say, but not not in a negative way. I'm just being uh, just taking my, my time a little bit more this time, I guess. So where will you be recording it and who will you be collaborating with? 
Um, uh, well, I'm I'm still not 100% sure who I will be working with yet. I've I've got a few names that um, I'm I'm potentially looking at uh, coll- collaborating with, but I haven't. Like I said, I haven't even got to that stage yet, so um, I'm I'm kind of leaving it at the moment and just really focused on the writing. But yeah, I'm excited to I'm excited to get to that that stage where I can actually look at the who who it is, who's going to be the people that I get to work on the songs with. That'll that's the next exciting part for me, which we'll uh, we will see in time. And I imagine there's plenty of people who'd love to work with you. I mean, you know, a million hits on Spotify. I mean, you've got the momentum. Yeah, I mean that's 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 great. I'm it's such a such a thrill to 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 have that statistic. You know, it's it's really really cool. But uh, yeah, look for me, I, I try not to think about that too much. I really just want to just really want to focus on the artistry, the music, and just kind of allow myself to create things that either resonate with people or, or move people or inspire people, and uh, as well as do it for myself as well because I have to at the first. At the forefront of it all, I have to put myself first in the sense that I have to make sure that I, I love what I'm creating. Because um, if you can't love what you're creating, then then what's what's the point? Do you know what I mean? So I have to I have to love it. Tell us a little bit about your songwriting technique. Like you know, what's a what's a normal songwriting day for Michael Batira? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I feel like I don't have a specific. Uh, routine, I feel like it changes dramatically sometimes. It can be sometimes it'll just be an idea, like lyrically, or it could be an idea musically. Um, it could be a theme or, or something like that. Um, or it could just be me sitting at a, at a piano and I'm just, you know, you know, pushing the keys around and just coming up with something or just literally have no ideas at all and then all of a sudden after playing around, something comes to you. But, I mean, generally the better ideas do come from um, some kind of experience or some kind of inspiration or, or it's motivated by something a little bit more real. Um, that's kind of where that comes from. Um, or, or I go on a complete or I go a complete tangent and I'll create something like really, really different. Like I had a song called Alice, which was literally uh, like a like an analogy of Alice in Wonderland, but I related it to the real world in, well, in my life and it was this whole adventure and it was this cinematic musical number. Um, so, like, I love to create really wild things as well. So it really it really depends. There's no specific routine for me, but I, I, I try not to follow too many rules. I feel like the more rules that I give myself, then I feel like I lock myself into a box. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It feels like you're really giving yourself the chance to get this right on your terms, you know, without a label, without, you know, a producer, you know, without those commercial kind of, you know, pressures. You're just doing this in the way that you want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've worked with labels in the past and while that's been a very valuable experience for me, I have taken away some things Um one being that, you know, everyone kind of wants to have uh, an opinion on what you do in the sense that wants to change this, change that. And then you have too many cooks in the kitchen and you end up compromising uh, your work, which is, um, look, in the beginning when you're trying to get your name out there, I guess sometimes there are many artists who would be willing to do that. And at that time I was certainly uh, also willing to do that, I guess. I, I was willing to, to compromise and I think I'm in a different place now where I'm, I probably wouldn't do it as much because I'm, you know, my work is just my work. It's just how it is, and um, I'll just stand by what I what I create, and and that's pretty much it. It must feel great being in that place, 
to have made that decision and for it to be working for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, I feel like in the last couple of years since not being with any label, um, it's been so much more of a success than what uh, during the time that I was with one. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's been a huge difference. Uh, and that really goes to show that, you know, you put in the work, you, you believe in your own craft, you believe in your message, you do it, you know, how, how you feel it's right and without having too many people kind of poison that pot um, and, and have too many interferes. Uh, so it's, yeah, look, I'm, I'm proud of, I'm proud of what's happened so far. So uh, hopefully it just continues to, to go that way, fingers crossed, and, and continue to grow. Any chance you might road test the EP with a live show, you know, an intimate kind of live gig somewhere? Yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Again, it's, I haven't, haven't put anything into plan, but that is, that is absolutely something I would love. That would be very great. Because yeah. you must miss the live shows. I mean, when we first spoke, you talked about how much you love doing musical theatre. You know, you clearly love being on the stage. Yeah, yeah, I do. I miss theatre as well. I miss all of that. I miss being on the stage and I miss performing in general. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm just, I just want to make sure that the next time I do step out, I've got everything ready to go and that, you know, I'm, I've got something, I've got something special to, to show and to say. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, Michael Batira, it sounds so exciting about this EP. It sounds like it's going to be really, truly brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today on 3CR. Absolutely love your work. Beautiful. Thanks, James. Appreciate you having me on.
Yeah, what a voice. Edit James there. Call me and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs>